be back this evening. Uh, we're just mentioning out here that for the last couple months we've been complaining because it's rained and rained and rained and everything's soggy and wet and now the yellow star is starting to fall and we're like, I wish it would rain to wash it all away. We're just never satisfied people. A couple weeks ago, well, a few weeks ago, we began kind of a series on Sunday nights called Face to Face with Jesus. And we've been looking at, we started looking at some of the uh, individual interactions that Jesus had with certain people in his ministry. Mainly out of the book of John, but we won't be exclusively in the book of John. And we started with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And then two weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well. And I kept making mention in that sermon that uh, there was going to be a part two and we were going to do that next week. Not realizing, and it hadn't dawned on me, that last week was family life groups. So, no, we didn't do that last week. So we're, we're going to do that this week. But uh, just to remind ourselves that in John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, we talked about that a little bit, that, that uh, that was not technically accurate. Uh, that was the straightest route from Judea to Galilee. But most Jews would not have taken the straightest route. Most Jews despise the Samaritans so much. And Samaria lie or lay or was between uh, Judea and Galilee. Most Jews would not go through Samaria. They would either go to the east and cross over the Jordan River and go up and then cross back over. Or they would go to the west and get on a boat and go up the Mediterranean Sea and then eventually over to Galilee. But this says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I think it's because Jesus knew he had an appointment. And Jesus gets to Samaria, he gets to Sychar, and uh, it's the middle of the day, and he sends the disciples in to find some lunch, something to drink, and he's sitting there by the well. And lo and behold, the Samaritan woman comes. And we believe, or at least I believe, that she came in the middle of the day because she was pretty much a social outcast. And she was coming to get her water when she figured there wouldn't be anybody else from town there. Because everybody probably looked down on her. And so she comes and Jesus asks a simple question. You wouldn't think that such a simple question would, you know, start or spark this entire conversation that we have. Jesus simply said, could you give me a drink of water? And she is astounded. She says, why would you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And then they go back and forth and Jesus talked to her about, you know, living water. And if you knew who it was asking you of water, you'd ask him of water and he'd give you water and he'd never be thirsty again. And she's like, Whoo, I want some of that water. And Jesus said, well, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right about that. You've had five and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. She changes the subject. Well, you Jews say that you have to worship in Jerusalem. We worship on the mountain. Which is it? Jesus said, there's going to come a time when it's not going to matter where you worship. 
Because what God wants is those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know that one day the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell us everything. I think she was kind of saying, in my own mind, that's a pretty good answer, but I don't trust you. I'm going to wait till I hear it on good authority. I'm going to wait till I hear it from the Messiah himself. And Jesus says, he who speaks to you is him. I am the Messiah. And we talked two weeks ago about how that that was a pretty remarkable declaration on Jesus' part. That he had not made that declaration to the disciples outright. He had not made that declaration to the Jews outright. But he outright makes that declaration to this outcast Samaritan woman at the well. Now, that was two weeks ago's sermon. Now we're going to do part two. And we're going to notice that uh, there are four reactions that are generated by this conversation that Jesus had with this woman. So if you're in John chapter 4, which I'm sure you are, we're going to begin at verse 27. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I tell you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more of them believed. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Again, a really remarkable story. A remarkable setting, considering how it began. And the first thing I want us to notice is the reaction of the disciples. And I think that that is a little... Go ahead. I don't know if you can see it real well. I couldn't find a color that worked real well, but anyway. Uh, I think the reaction of the disciples is a little understated here. It says we immediately or just then the disciples returned and they were surprised to see him talking with a woman. My guess is it was a little stronger than just surprised. They were shocked. They were shocked that Jesus was talking to this woman. They were shocked that Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman. I don't know if they maybe had an inkling of her background and, and perhaps, you know, what all had gone on in her life. 
But whatever it was, they were absolutely surprised that Jesus was talking to this woman. It's the surprise mirrors the woman's surprise, doesn't it? It's just not the disciples that were shocked. We can't blame them for being shocked because the woman herself was shocked. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? I can't believe you're even talking to me. And we mentioned a couple weeks ago, I really believe that, that she was going out to the well at midday so she wouldn't have to deal with anybody. And then as she approaches, she, she sees Jesus sitting by the well. And I'm think, I think in her mind, she's thinking, ah, okay, I can deal with him because he's not going to talk to me. I'm not going to have to speak to him. He's not going to speak to me. I'm going to get my water. I'm going to dip it into my pot and I'm going to go home and that's going to be the end of it. And then Jesus says, can I have some water? And she's stunned by that. Now, what I want us to get from this and understand is they knew, they thought the disciples' problem was that they had a prejudice that they could not see through. The disciples knew what kind of people, or they thought they did, they thought they knew what kind of people would be open to Jesus and his message, and this woman did not fit that model. We talked before, a couple weeks ago, when we started this one, that there could not be two opposite people than Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, the Pharisee, a, a, a scholar of the text in the Old Testament, and then this woman. And I guarantee you that when Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus, the disciples thought, ooh, this is going to be a good catch. If we can get Nicodemus on our side, that's going to be such a coup. That's going to be such a public relations, you know, deal that, that this is really going to send the ministry, you know, skyrocketing. And they thought, perhaps, that Nicodemus would be open to the message of Christ. But we saw that he really wasn't. He really wasn't. And then here we have this woman. And we should not, I don't think, look down upon the disciples too hastily. Because I don't think we'd have been any better. I think if somebody had put Nicodemus here and the woman at the well here and asked us, not knowing what we know, no cheating, and asked us who would be more receptive to the message of Christ. I think almost all of us would have said Nicodemus. He had all the background, he had the pedigree, he had everything. Nicodemus would be open to the message of Jesus. And yet it seemed that it was not Nicodemus, but in fact it was the woman at the well. Talking with her, accepting her, presented them with all kinds of problems. Religious, social, ethical, and racial. Just to name a few. Wow. This woman, this woman just, just had so many different things wrong with her. That just did not fit what they thought would be somebody who would come to Jesus. There's a strong message for us. We are not to judge the kind of people who might be receptive to the gospel. That's not our job. 
You remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower. And there was the thorny ground and there was the rocky ground and there was the beaten path ground and there was the good soil. Notice that Jesus did not say, and the moral of that parable is, you go out and you find the good ground and that's where you plant. That's not what Jesus said. He said the sower went out and threw the seed everywhere because... What we might consider to be fertile good ground might be the hard path. And that that we think would be the hard path might be the very fertile ground of somebody waiting to hear the message of Jesus. And that's what we find in the two opposites of Nicodemus and the woman at the well. I don't believe that it's a coincidence that Jesus often attracted those who would have been considered the least likely candidates. Look at the disciples themselves, the apostles. Not an overly educated group of folks, huh? We got some fishermen. Uh, we got a, a, you know, a tax collector. We got all kinds of different folks. We don't seem to have anybody who is necessarily prominent, uh, rich, uh, popular necessarily in their communities. Those were not the people who Jesus sought out necessarily and certainly not the ones who seemed to seek him out. We had a Greek woman. We have a Greek woman who showed her faith. You remember, she's the one that came and said, heal my daughter. And Jesus said, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with you because this is meant for the Jews. And she said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus said, I've never seen so great a faith. A short tax collector hiding in a tree trying to get a view. A woman that had been bleeding for years. All these are the kind of people who came to Jesus. A prostitute who washed his feet. And this woman. We must be careful not to limit the gospel to those we deem worthy. We deem worthy. Either racially, socially, morally, or economically. We were talking in the high school class this morning. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And you remember right there at the very beginning in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, I didn't come with an eloquence of words. I didn't come with great wisdom. God uses the foolish things of this life. Uh, Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were rich. Not many of you, you know, you were just normal folk. And we talked in our class this morning about, is that still true? Is it harder for those who are wealthy, educated, popular, whatever the case may be, is it harder for those to accept the message of Christ than just normal people or even the lower class folks? And we kind of said, I think so. Because of those not, now this is not a blanket statement, you understand. But those who are highly educated tend to rely on their education. And not something that might be a faith. I don't believe our faith is a blind faith. I believe there's evidence. God's given us plenty of evidence. But there is faith involved. Those who have More money than they know what to do with. 
They don't seem to need to rely on anything. And the idea that, that I am in need of something is hard for somebody with a lot of wealth to understand. Not impossible, but perhaps harder. And so those people who understand and realize and know that they are in need right now are going to be the ones that are more likely, perhaps, to be open to the word of God. When we leave our prejudice behind, it will present problems. It will present problems that we are unfamiliar and maybe even, in a sense, sometimes unequipped to handle. But we don't handle them. Jesus does. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking when Jesus said, tell you what, let's stay here a couple days. Whoa. My guess is the disciples were not thrilled about going through Samaria anyway on the way to Galilee. And now Jesus says, we're going to stay here a couple days. We're going to, we're going to, sleep among them we're going to eat among them we're going to visit with them and that would have been absolutely appalling to a Jew and yet I think Jesus was trying to get them to understand you got to start looking differently at people and so we see the reaction of the disciples the second thing reaction we see is the reaction of the woman The woman's reaction was one, was a sense of responsibility to share with others. It would have been easy and convenient to go on her way and say nothing. In fact, it probably would have been what would have been expected. You see, she had to break down some barriers herself. These were the people who had looked down on her. Most of her life. These were the people who did not respect her. These were the people who shunned her. And now because she has some good news. She has a message. She is willing to put herself out there. Make herself vulnerable. Go back into the town and say look. You people have to come and see this guy. He told me everything I did. He might be the Christ. The Messiah. Do you think in the back of her mind. She might have thought. They're not going to believe me. They're going to laugh me out of town. Probably so. But she overcame that. In order to share. With the people. What she had learned about Jesus. It reminds me of back in the Old Testament. You remember that. The city of Samaria. Had been surrounded by the Syrian army. And they had choked off the city. And there was a big siege and people were dying. There was a famine inside the city. There was no food or water. And, you know, it was just, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. And so for the Samaritans, the Israelites that were inside the city, they were dying. And then you had the Syrian army encircling them. And they had all kinds of everything. And there were these four lepers who were kind of caught in the middle like no man's land. Because they were lepers, they were not allowed to go into the city. And there was so little food in the city anyway, nobody was going to give them 
any of what they had. And then there was the Syrian army. And so finally they got to the point where they just absolutely were literally starving to death. And they said, you know what? Let's just walk into the Syrian camp and throw ourselves at the mercy of the Syrian army. What's the worst that can happen to us? Well, they could kill us. But we're basically dead anyway. So might as well. And you remember that as they walk into the camp that the night before, God had made this big stirring and, and, and the Syrian army got so afraid thinking that they were attacked that they all retreated and left all their equipment and all their provisions. And the four lepers walk into camp and there's nobody there. Nobody going to kill them and all this food. And you know what they started doing? Chowing down. Isn't that what you'd have done? Yeah. Well, I know that's what I'd have done. And they're in the middle of chowing down and in the middle of eating. And they suddenly realize what we're not doing is what we're doing is not right. Our brothers and sisters inside Samaria are starving to death. And we're out here and we got all the food in the world. We need to go tell them. There would have been kind of a part of me. I hope not, but maybe. They would say, uh-uh. They wouldn't give me no food. They didn't throw any bread over the wall. They didn't help me out when I was in need. Why should I go help them out? Why should I let them know? Let's enjoy what we got for a week or two. Maybe they won't notice the Syrian army's not here. You know, let, let's eat our full and our fill. And then, then maybe later on we'll tell them. But they understood the responsibility that they had to share with the others. This woman understood that responsibility. She shared what she knew. She brought them to Jesus. And she must have had a passion that came from being with Jesus. I think out of this entire story, the most remarkable thing to me is, this is me personally, is that when she goes into town, that they come out to see Jesus. I don't know what it was about how the woman expressed herself. The genuineness, the sincerity of it, the fervor of it. But she somehow convinced that town That the man she had met at the well was somebody unique, somebody different, somebody they had to see. And don't you think there was an inkling on those people's part to just say, who are you? We're not listening to you. We're not putting any credence in anything you say. But there had to be something in her voice, in her emotion that said, There must be something to this. And you know, I think that says a lot about how we share the message with other people. Is there something in our voice? Is there something in our emotion that compels people to listen? I may not agree, but to listen. Do we have that sincerity that this woman must have had 
to reach all those people. The third reaction is the reaction of the Samaritans themselves. Their journey began by the testimony of the woman. And then their journey continued as they listened to Jesus over two days. And then their faith became their own. I, I like the way that John presents this to us. Where he says that the people said to the woman, we no longer believe because of you. Is that what it said? No, that's not what it said. We no longer believe just because of you. You see, she still played an important part in their faith, in what, in coming to Jesus. But they no longer believed just because of her. They now believed on their own. We talk about, I talk about with young people, we talk about with new Christians that, you know, somebody, for most of us, somebody brought us to Christ. It may have been our parents, it may have been our grandparents, it may have been a friend, it may have been a neighbor, it may have been somebody like the woman told us the good news about Jesus. Now, for some of us, we can't even remember who it was who first told us because it was back when our legs were dangling in the little chairs and cradle roll, you know. We don't remember who it was. But we know a bunch of the folks. But there has to come a point in time when our faith becomes our own because of our own personal experience with God and with Jesus. I can't go through life with my faith based on your faith. It has to become mine at some point in time. And for these Samaritans, yes, that woman played an integral part. She was the catalyst. She began to lay the foundation. But it's when they came and listened to Jesus, it's when they came and began a relationship with him, that their faith became their own. And we have to have that as well in our lives. A faith that is never stretched, never tested, never expressed cannot grow. And then we see the reaction. No, let's go back. Two more things. A couple more things. One more thing that's really remarkable about this story. There's a lot of remarkable things in this story. That Jesus told the woman he was the Messiah. It's pretty remarkable. That so many Samaritans believed and not a single miracle was performed. Not a single miracle was performed in Samaria. Other than him being able to tell the woman some things that she didn't think he knew. But there was no healing of the blind. There was no turning water to wine. There was no multiplying the fish. There was no, you know, uh, healing lepers. There was none of those miracles. And yet it is here in Samaria that we see one of the greatest conversions to Jesus, certainly in his early ministry, without a miracle. And I think that says something to us, because how many of us have kind of thought, you know, if we could have been there when there were miracles. I believe, but boy, if I could have seen Jesus heal a leper, I'd have really believed. 
If I could have seen, you know, a blind man see again, oh, that would have just convinced me. Really? It didn't convince the people who saw them, most of them. All they did was try to deny they happened or, you know, use, say that his power was from the devil or whatever it was. It didn't convince them. And here we have a group of people, not a single miracle performed, and they believed Jesus and put faith in him. It's remarkable. And then we have the reaction of Jesus. In response to the disciples, Jesus makes the statement about the harvest. Now he says, don't say four months from now will come the harvest. Behold, the field is widened to harvest now. Now, I think what Jesus was saying is, you are so eager to get to Galilee. You are so eager to get back up where most of you are from. Most of the disciples have been from Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. You're so anxious to get up there and share the good news with people your own kind. Your kinfolk, your friends, your acquaintances or whatever. You're so eager to get to Galilee that you're missing the harvest right here. Right here where we're at. I think this probably maybe dawned on them a little bit. And they understood his words when it said he had to go through Samaria. You see, they had tunnel visions. They were focused on what they thought could be and should be. And it would have been so easy to cross over the Jordan River and hustle on up to Galilee and just, you know, leave Samaria behind. But Jesus said, look around you. Look around you at the harvest. And I think he was being literal about the people who had come, the Samaritans who had come and put their faith and trust and believed in him. Jesus said, open your eyes. The harvest is right in front of you. The same is true for us. The harvest is right in front of our eyes. Now, was it important that they go to Galilee and share the good message of Jesus? Absolutely. Was it important that eventually they'd come back to Judea and share the good news in Jerusalem and the area? Absolutely. But at that moment, they were in Samaria. And that's where the field was white unto harvest. Is it important that people like Ben and Chuck and Terry and others go to Ghana? That's important. Is it important that others go to Brazil? It's important. But guess what? You ain't in Ghana. And you ain't in Brazil. And neither am I. There may be a harvest over there. But right here, right now. There's a harvest. And we need to be the workers in the field. Sharing. The good news of Jesus Christ. In Dangerfield, Lone Star, Hugh Springs, Pittsburgh, Naples, Omaha, Mount Pleasant, Jefferson, Mount Vernon, Gilmer, and I don't know, I'm sure I left some places out that some people live. But this is it. This is our field. The harvest is ripe in our schools. The harvest is ripe on our ball teams. The harvest is ripe at work. The harvest is ripe with our neighbors. The harvest is ripe at the grocery store. 
Why is the harvest ripe? Because there are people who need the message. There are people like this woman at the well who seems outcast, who seems discouraged, who seems broken and needs to hear the good news, the message of joy that we find in Jesus Christ. We are all harvesters now, not later. Teenagers, young adults, older adults, senior adults. You know, we can go through a whole life just kind of pushing the goalpost. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a teenager, I'm a kid, nobody expects anything of me, I don't really going to share the message. You know, when I get to be an adult, I'll do that. Then we get to be a young adult. Well, no, I'm starting my family, starting my career, really don't have the time for that. You know, a little later on, we, everything kind of settles down. <laughs> when is that going to happen? I'm just asking, okay? Yeah, and we just keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Jesus says, no, don't be looking ahead. Be looking around and see the field that's white under harvest today. The real question is, what is our reaction to Jesus? Belief, faith, sharing, reaction to the harvest. Are we going to be able to look behind, look beyond our own prejudices and not try to figure out who would or would not be most receptive to the gospel, but share it with everybody? Because sometimes those we think would be the least receptive are the most receptive This is the story, I believe, is so important. And it has so much to do with the type of person the woman was and the fact that Jesus took the time to share with her. And then she turned around and took the time to share with others. That's the message we have as we study from the woman at the well. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this evening, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D F I E L D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.